Artificial intelligence is still the buzzword in 2021, despite that are preoccupying the mindset of the executive suites. With us today is Mr. Matthew Herford, Field Chief Technology Officer and Vice President for Solutions Engineering, Asia-Pacific at NetApp. Matthew, welcome to Podcast for Future CIO. Thank you, Alan. Fantastic to be here. I'll keep my answers shorter than my title if I can. As organizations move applications to the cloud, How is this changing the views of CIOs with regards to keeping the lights on for legacy infrastructure? I completely hear those same messages when I talk to executives across Asia-Pacific. I think that we haven't done a very good job at modernizing, retiring IT systems. I think there are many business cases written to develop the new solution that had in there that we were going to retire the old one, but we never actually quite got around to it. Or we weren't sure if things and applications were still using it and a bit scared to turn things off. So we've ended up with this sprawl and complexity um, that, that's holding us back. And you're right, IT budgets aren't growing. When I talk to executives, they say the business is demanding fast innovation. Um, organizations are looking to leverage cloud to get that speed of innovation. But because the budgets aren't growing, they're, they're handicapped and held back by the fact that they're still maintaining these legacy environments. My conversation normally orientates around helping organizations understand how they can automate, orchestrate, and standardize their legacy environments. We've got to drive the people costs out once and for all. And I think one of the key things here is thinking about running that environment as if you are a cloud provider to your business. Cloud providers don't let you do everything. They have a catalog of services. There are things you can choose from. There are four or five sizes of compute, three or four choices with network, two or three levels of storage you can choose from. I think that standardizing the service catalog, understanding your application demand, is key to doing that, not what the developers want, not what the DBA thinks, and perhaps not what the CIO might think in terms of the current price models on offer from clouds, but understanding the application demand, building a service catalog that suits your business, and then writing automation orchestration to drive out that people cost. And one of the benefits of that is speed. You suddenly, it doesn't take you a week to get a VM provisioned, it takes you an hour. And then looping in important aspects like chargeback and showback, you need to show the business the cost of the services they're running. Otherwise, they've got nothing to compare them against. Because part of the decisions about whether you use cloud services or don't use cloud services needs to be based on the holistic cost of the services you're providing and understanding you know, the cost of provisioning a VM, for example, or, or development container region is super important to making those decisions in the future. Do business today, I mean, with your discussions with customers, do they really appreciate what IT does for them I'm not sure they do understand the true costs. In fact, yesterday I was I was down in Canberra talking to some very large customers, and I don't think they do understand the cost of the services they run. And I think it's I think it's really important. Cost isn't the only decision, or isn't the only ingredient in decisions about where applications run, and, and particularly when you go into trying to create new innovative services. But I think it is very important that we capture the costs of services, and this. This links, Alan, into some perhaps some dirty secrets of IT, right? I think the concept of a configuration management database, a CMDB, has been around for a very long time, but I see very few organizations that have actually got one working. And if we think about the complexity that we've gone from being physical servers to virtual-based servers, and now we're going to container-based architectures and serverless-based architectures and multi-cloud architectures, organizations really do need to understand where their applications are running. Previously, you know, you used to know the name of the server 
server in the data center and it was relatively simple. Now you're running, you know, stateless serverless compute container application, sorry, across multiple clouds. You need to have a handle on how those applications are made up, where they're running, what the interdependencies are, and then that information links back to the chargeback and showback model. And most organizations, to be fair, probably only need to go far as showback. Understanding the cost of these innovative services, understanding as they start to standardize and orchestrate and build these service catalogs and treat their IT like services and, and show that that does drive down the overall cost of delivering those services, because that's how you get trust from the business and understanding from the business. The only other thing I'd say in this space is I think COVID has changed a lot in terms of there is a definite opportunity for CIOs now to seize the reins. I am seeing that organizations like never before have realized that they are so reliant on IT. And organizations that are really starting to thrive as we come out of this are the ones that have got the better handle on the services and how they can leverage data to create new services. So I think there is a, a window of opportunity here now for CIOs to really step forward, provide some of this maturity and capability to get more trust from the business, to go and do more innovative things and really start to create some differentiated services. Because when we talk about all this digital stuff and digital disruption, use of data, turning data into information, really that's all about, I think, that the real playing field now for any business is in the service outcomes they can provide their customers. That's where I think organizations can differentiate. Theoretically, if IT can market itself to the internal organization as a service provider or understood as that, they might get a better appreciation for the work. I, I can understand that. A couple of days back, I was talking to a CIO and I said, okay, look, my according to Gartner, for every dollar that you put in to buy this new technology, and there's an equivalent 8 to $10 worth of services that follow through it. And not just the licensing fees, but also the maintenance setup and everything else. From that perspective, I then asked him, so what about this new technology that are coming up, this artificial intelligence to help you improve uh, the way you operate things? And, and he came back to me and said, why do I need to fix something that's working okay? I'm introducing additional possible problems into what's working right now. What's the motivation for it? And what, what would be your answer to that type of a rhetoric from a, a CIO that has a sizable budget going into IT operations, but he doesn't want to buck the trend that it, it, the lights are running. I'm living with the, the 30% to do the innovation, the 70% going to maintenance. So let me just make sure I got the question right, Alan. Is he questioning the value of AI to his business? Well, he's questioning the need to change things when it's not broken, basically. So this okay. is a very traditional type of mentality, right? Yep. No, no, no. I understand that. And um, that's <laughs> a big question. Let me approach it in a couple of ways. First of all, I think that there's a whole AI machine learning, deep learning, you know, the different facets of data science. They overlap. There's a lot of different use cases. There are a lot of things going on inside organizations. So I don't think it's one size fits all. And there are lots of different domains within this whole AI sphere, right? That's the first thing I would say. Some organizations, I think it's a logical step from, I've been around a while, I remember, you know, sort of data warehousing to EBI. I think AI is, is a logical step for some organizations on that. They've been always looking to pull relevant data pools together out of silos into some kind of data warehouse, and we now call those things data lakes more often than not. And they're trying to extract value from that information to provide new services to customers. So, you know, for organizations in telcos, they may be looking to reduce churn of services or for utility companies 
companies, they may be looking to figure out how they can become a higher efficiency of services and you know not waste electricity and, and or, or power consumption. So there's definitely that kind of thing going on inside organizations. There's a whole other domain of operational AI, if that makes sense. And I see a lot of organizations talking to me about this concept of we've had CI and CD, continual integration, continual deployment as sort of agile development terms. I'm hearing CO, continual optimization, as being a mandatory thing. So probably my main retort to that kind of conservative CIO would be how many agents and pieces of software have you deployed across your environment to try and control costs or do capacity and demand management? How many spreadsheets are you herding in the background to find figure out what's happening inside your environment? I would say that when you're looking to choose the vendors you work with, make sure that AI and continual optimization of your landscape is built into their solutions. NetApp has been doing this for, for a number of years now. We've made acquisitions in companies like Spot has the ability to continually optimize multi-cloud environments, whether they be VMs or containers. We've got ActiveIQ, which is our data lake, which provides insights via dashboards back to customers to say, hey, we've looked at your peer group. Based on your data usage, you could tweak these things to get more value from your product. You should be turning on this feature in this you know, set of data to recover more space and you know, in the long run, save money. These are insights that are being presented to the customer. So I think that whole sort of AI ops area, even for the most conservative of customers, even if they're not looking to develop new services built on AI and machine learning, I think that area is an area that is almost a tick box now for organizations to think about. If you look at the region that we are in, Asia Pacific, mm. are there markets that are more receptive or suitable to the idea of introducing AI into IT operations? I don't think so. For AI ops, for, for you know, or, or ML ops, depending on how you kind of frame this sort of capability, no, I, I think this is completely cross-vertical. I think it's it's a way of driving out cost, understanding costs, making sure that as you start to go into these cloud environments, you know, disciplines need to change. You know, if you think five years ago, if I told a Windows or a Unix admin that they had to turn their service off overnight to save some money, that looked to be pretty strangely. But the reality is, is you go into cloud, you know, it's pay as you use, right? It's pay as you go. So you need to be quite smart about how you're using these services. It's a completely different discipline. And having humans have to manage that when we've got AI engines to manage that, give you guidance on how to run the most optimized environments. I think this is almost a, a mandatory requirement for any CIO to be thinking about when we're embracing multi-cloud, we need to go into this with a foundation of understanding how we're going to control the costs across these multi-clouds and not have to use those methods of the past with, you know, a million agents or, or hundreds of spreadsheets. Let me ask you this. You mentioned that if I'm a customer of uh, NetApps and I have, say, multiple data centers running, in addition to that, I'm outsourcing some of my IT requirements to a couple of cloud providers. So I have a hybrid multi-cloud setup. Now you're telling me that you're going to help me manage this or give me some insights on how I operate all of this environment by using a data lake that collects information and then provides me with, uh, I guess you use the word peer group. So gives a sense of, okay, how am I doing again relative to my other peer groups? in this type of scenario setting. Does that actually introduce any complexity to the way I manage my infrastructure, especially at the beginning when I need to learn the technology that you have, how to use it in order, how to use the insights that you provide in order for my IT team to do their job better managing our infrastructure, both on-prem, the one we own and the ones we outsource to a cloud provider somewhere? 
It's a good question. Yeah, because we don't want to be doing that. I often talk about the fact that at the storage layer, we, we don't want to be managing storage anymore. We want, to be, we want to be managing data. That's the value to an organization, not tapping away on the keyboard, creating volumes, and but actually understanding where the data lives, how to leverage it, giving organizations insights into what they can do with it. So no, there is definitely, if you own an app system, they write back to a data lake. We can give we can give you insights about what you can be doing. They're plain English, right? You know, they click a button and these things can take effect inside your environment or it provides a, a link to a document to how to optimize this part of the environment to get savings. But the other part of what we're doing is these SaaS services because people don't want to install stuff. They want to have stuff looking across this multi-cloud. So whether it be Spot, which is our cloud compute container and soon-to-be storage optimization service. Now, the way that works is that you don't pay NetApp anything until you decide to make a saving. It runs an analyzer across your multi-cloud environment. It gives you recommendations. So it may run across your AWS compute environment, for example, and say, we can optimize this environment and you're currently spending $30,000 a month. We can save you $15,000 a month. We find in most organizations, we save them between 60 and 90% of their cloud costs. Now, as soon as you hit that button, two things happen. You pay NetApp a small fee for finding those savings and the savings are dynamically implemented in your environment. Now, that's very unique from that service. We've also got services like Cloud Insights that allow you to also connect up to another SaaS service that looks across your multi-cloud landscape. It looks at perhaps how you're running your complex container environments and provides you insights into performance, capacity, all the things you need to help you manage your environment. So I don't think the complexity is there because there's nothing to install anymore, Alan. These things should be consumed as SaaS services. You should be paying your vendor in the same way you consume any other cloud service and making sure you can simply extract value from it and not have to read a 300-page manual. What about time to value, though? I mean, the other point I wanted to raise was the learning curve for IT, right? It's easy for a vendor to say, well, it's a wheezy wig type. You just drag and drop here and there and things will do it for you. And then there's this, you click here and you see a user manual that tells you what to do. But some vendors and some analysts actually are telling us there's actually is a time to value. One, a time to value for the system, the AI, to understand how your system operates, okay? Because it has to collect data. I mean, you, you don't drop an AI into an existing environment and instantly it knows what you're doing. It has, it takes time to discover all the different nodes and what and the applications that are running. If the, if the AI is intelligent enough, theoretically, it has to look at historical data as well to be able to say, okay, every day this system needs an hour to go down in order to do some maintenance work and firmware updates on this storage will take another 30 minutes or so, that sort of thing. I mean, is there... One, is the query on time to value real? Uh, the concerns, I mean, around time to value for AI ops, is that real? And two, if it is real, what's the way to accelerate? Is it accelerate or decelerate time to value in order for one, for the CIO to say, well, I'm, I am receiving the promise that the sales rep told me with regards to how much savings I can get. And also in terms of productivity, it will give to the staff that I have. I can get them to do something else. I actually think that the time to value is decreasing. In the case of Spot, it will give you recommendations in the 24 to 48 hour time frame, like real, tangible, implementable, cost saving, click the button, it makes the cost savings recommendations. You know, some of the tools take a little longer to learn and understand your environment, but I don't think the time frames we're talking about, I still think they're far shorter than any of the human time frames that they've ever worked with, if I'm being really honest. I'll give you an example, a, a different example, because 
if we talk about AI, if we talk about the complexity of your average data scientist wanting to leverage the benefits of NetApp's data management capabilities, but probably having very little interest in reading the manual, what we do is create things like the data science toolkit. Now, the data science toolkit looks on face value as if it's it's a collection of Python scripts. But what it actually is, is the ability, regardless of how that data scientist likes to operate, and data scientists for me are much like developers. They have their own tools and frameworks they, they like to use. And if you start to put barriers in the way of them using those languages, toolkits, then you're going to have a problem. What our data science toolkit does, it abstracts all of the complexity of NetApp from that person. So if that data scientist wants to use Jupyter Notebooks, or if they're coming in through a CLI, or if they're using Kubeflow, any of those tools that they're going to be writing their data science and, and AI code in, what the data science toolkit does is abstracts that away. So they can use those tools and get the value of creating volumes, cloning volumes, snapshotting volumes, creating point-in-time copies within NetApp without having to understand how NetApp does that or the command structures to actually go and get that done. And I think that's a great example of how, as a vendor, we need to be providing that kind of value. You know, we don't, as I said, we don't want people managing storage. We want people managing data. And in the advance of data scientists, we want them going and being innovative and not having to worry about, you know, how do I clone a volume in NetApp? I'm sold to the idea of AI ops. I'm going to work on implementing an AI ops initiative for my organization. How do I launch a successful AI ops initiative? What are traps that I need to look watch out for? And uh, any one or two learnings from your own experiences helping customers deploy AI ops in their environment? And once again, this shouldn't be overly complicated, right? Your AI ops environments are largely, you should be looking at providing or looking to source that through a, through a SaaS model. You know, if you've got to go and install a whole bunch of stuff to even analyze your environment, then that's a problem. This should be as lightweight as possible for you to get actionable information to go and make decisions about how the product works. From a NetApp perspective, and I think from an industry perspective, the days of us presenting a thousand pounds PowerPoint slides to any customer on how our solutions work are gone. You know, if your vendor can't demo to you in 15 minutes the value that this AI ops capability is going to give you, then it's probably the wrong solution for you. You know, the, the complexity needs to be abstracted into that SaaS layer so you can just simply say, I want to know how much of this I'm wasting. I want to understand how I can make this better. I want to understand my capacity management over here. And I think that's the challenge you should be laying out. Often, where I see these programs go wrong, like any project, is if the outcomes aren't completely and clearly defined at the start. So challenge your vendor if you're looking to use AI to optimize and manage costs in your environment, challenge them with those top two or three things that you really do want to understand about your environment and show them, get your vendor to show you that they can actually give you tangible information about how they're going to solve those problems for you as a CIO or an infrastructure head, what questions do I ask this uh, AI ops solutions provider as and when they come to my door and say, here's uh, this is the next best thing to uh, no, French fries? 
May I think, Alan, the questions you were asking me resonated. I think that that whole what's the time to value going to be and what steps do we need to do as a customer to achieve that value? I think that's the crux of it, right? How quickly am I going to get this and how much time, effort, energy and things do you need from me to actually get to that point where I'm actually starting to see value? Are there any pitfalls or things that gotcha type of scenarios where I told you need to do this, this, this in order for you to get this, this. And I've seen that scenario where somebody comes to me and say, I'm going to offer you this latest and greatest solution and it's going to save you this much amount of money. And I buy into it. And then later on, I say, oh, you forgot. There's a caveat here in the fine print. It says you need to have this type of setting. There's a laundry list of things that you need to do in order to achieve that uh, savings or the value that the vendor was marketing at at the beginning. Yeah, two things. We've been talking a lot about Spot from that app. The two things that it does that I think really do differentiate it and some of the competitive tools do have pitfalls on is the first one is shouldn't be playing a subscription service for the right to run the tool. If you're having to sign up to pay money to even start to have the tool, you know, analyze your environment to provide you with the recommendations, then I would question that. The NetApp tools, you only pay when you choose to make a saving you choose to implement a recommendation. And the second thing that I see a lot is that recommendation often isn't quite as easy to implement as vendors would make it seem. You know, it makes the recommendations, but then you have to go and find a project manager and three clever people and two outages and a whole bunch of work to actually get those savings. If those savings aren't dynamically implemented in your environment at the click of a button, I'd question whether that's actually the right tool for you. Matthew, thank you for joining me on Podcast for Future CIO. It's been a pleasure, Alan. Great to meet you. Thank you. That was Matthew Herford, Field Chief Technology Officer and Vice President Solutions Engineering for Asia Pacific at NetApp on the role of AI in cloudified enterprise applications. You are listening into Podcast for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover in this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for our weekly free newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Bye for now.